Good morning, church. Amen. It's always a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord. I'm humbled uh, to even stand up here. Um, I've been I'm given this privilege to stand before you to bring forth what the Lord has pressed on my heart. For the last several weeks, Pastor uh, Dave and, and Dan have brought um, wonderful explanations of the parables of our Lord and Jesus Christ. And although they were spoken 2,000 years ago, nevertheless, they still are effective to us today. Amen? So before I get started, um, like I always say, if it's uh, a few words or, or uh, many words, uh, I'm sure that we will take something out of it. And I have a tendency of, for those that are new here, of being a little loud and um, pointing my fingers, but that's just, I think, a little bit of my culture, amen, mixed in with just the revelation of what God has given me of being saved, amen. So I think if we can shout in a ballpark, in the movies, amen, I think I can shout for the Lord, amen, and not offend anyone. Because if you look at Psalms 150, it says, praise them with cymbals, praise them with psalms, with harp, with trumpets. And you tell me one blow that you hit with a trumpet, is that going to be low? I don't think so. Amen. So I'm setting up the grounds for myself, okay? So don't get started. A couple weeks ago, some of the teachers said, man, we heard you over there. I said, well, amen for that. (laughs) Praise God. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come at an awe. We love you. We say thank you. Settle my heart. Father, we ask, Father, that you give us according to your will. Father, we ask that you may anoint my lips. Father God, that you may look upon the face of this church, including me. Speak to us accordingly, Father. You know our needs, even before we walked into this temple, Father God. Because you're God and you're God all alone. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. This parable basically speaks for itself many different forms, and I've, as I was looking at it, there were so many different um, revelations of what they felt, and that's okay, because we don't know um, at what time and place that was for. But in looking at this parable, I'm sure that everyone got the gist of it just with reading it, amen? The end result, the Good Samaritan. If I was to say, go and do as the Samaritan did, I think that's the greatest message we, we can say to each other, love others as you love yourself. Amen? But before we get to the parable and and the conversation between the lawyer and Jesus, we see how Jesus sends out 72 two by two. He gives them some instructions. He tells them, well, you go and do great things. Go in houses, bless them. If they don't want the blessing, you know what? They're not even worthy for you to carry the dust under your feet. He said, but if they open the doors, bless them. Bless them. But the blessing obviously is not coming from man. When God calls us and ordains us to do something, we have a greater authority that permits us to bless others, but in his name. That's the difference. 
Now he sent them out and, and they were just so excited. They started to bless people and, and in towns, they went in homes. Jesus told them, look, when you go in homes, if they give you to eat, if they give you a place to rest, you're worthy of your pay. Hey, this is your pay. I'm blessing you with this. So when they return, they come back with the great news. Jesus, even the devils trembled in, my pres- in our presence. Even the devils trembled because we called on your name, Jesus. Now, we get to the part where Jesus, now after listening to them, starts to have a conversation, a dialogue with the disciples. First of all, um, 10, 17 says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Isn't that power? Yeah, I don't know about you. I look at scary movies sometimes, and I'm under the covers. You know, I don't want to see that again. I've even walked out of theaters because it's been so scary. But you know what? When you have Jesus on your side, when you walk through the most toughest areas or the most scariest areas that you may ever think of, you're safe because he is our shield. He is our buckler. He's our protector. He is Yahweh. He's with us at all time, if and when we do it in whose name? Amen. I, he says, he replied, and he's saying, you're boasting. You did great things. But let me tell you a little something. This is what I've done. The 18th verse says, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Oh, yeah, you did all this, but this is what I did. I seen Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on the snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. But you see, he obviously wants to receive what's his. So he responds, I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice in that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The heavens and the earth shall pass, but his word shall never pass. What they did on this earth, what we do on this earth, it passes. But the sure end that one day we will be in heaven eternally. It will not come to an end, I'm sure. With him, he will be with us. We will sup together at the same table. And I'm sure that Jesus will be at the head of that table. Something that we ought to rejoice in. See? He goes on to pray. Jesus worships the Father for spiritual truth. For everyone and not just for the elite. The word is not just for the elite. We come to Jesus not through strength or brains, but through childlike trust. Jesus is not opposed to engaging in scholarly pursuits. He opposes to spiritual pride. So after this dialogue, he starts to, to give them a little bit more information. Luke 10.21 says, At the time Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, 
I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. Jesus is saying clearly that he has mysteries, and the mysteries are not just for the elite. These mysteries are given to childlike people. Why childlike people? Because childlike people, children can be trained. Children can be taught. By the age of six, it is, have been known, and I have read, that children can, read, can learn up to four languages. Children can sit, stay quiet upon your command most of the times anyway. But anyway, they're like sponges. They take in what you show them or teach them. And that, that is exactly what is being said here after the prayer. After he praises God, he says, thank God because um, what these mysteries that you've taught me is uh, revealed to the little children. It's not literally saying that the disciples and, and, and us in this church and, and believers throughout the world are children. It's childlike mentality. Meaning that you allow yourself to be held by the hands. Meaning you allow yourself to be receptive to what you're being taught. And you don't contest. Especially if it comes from a living and merciful God that we serve. Amen? Now, he gives them a private teaching. Verse 23. He says, Then he turned to the disciples. And said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Because they had the privilege of walking with the king of kings in which the prophets of the Old Testament did not have that honor. They had God himself by their side teaching them. Day in and day out. Now, this next verse, the 25th verse, says, on one occasion. This is all happening. Um, This lawyer um, is, is, is listening probably to the prayers. The only thing he probably didn't hear was when Jesus told the disciples that, um, When he had that little sidebar with them that I mentioned earlier. He had a little sidebar. Maybe that lawyer didn't hear that. But nevertheless, they're in the temple. They're listening. They're listening to the same thing that Jesus is speaking. But the reason I say that is because that 25th verse says on one occasion. But I went to the um, King James Version. It says, and behold. There's a difference there. In one occasion, sounds separate. It sounds like it was at a different time. But I believe that what the King James Version says, said, and behold, in other words, and behold, and suddenly this man got up. Not in another occasion, but right then and there. So, and behold, an expert in the law, and that's the law of Moses, stood up. To test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit the internal life? 
Jesus asked him the question, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He asked in return. See, Jesus was bright. Jesus was amazing. He didn't answer his question. He answers his question with another question. That's what great lawyers do. That's how they get the truth to come out. So the expert of the law quotes, because he is expert of the law, Moses' law, the Old Testament. Yet Jesus uh, mentions it in um, several occasions in the New Testament, what he replied. And this is literally Deuteronomy 6 and 5 and also Leviticus 19, 18. There was hundreds of laws, but this lawyer was pretty bright. He brings up two out of the hundreds. And this is how, what he tells him. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. So guess what? He answered his own question. So obviously he was testing Jesus. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I want you to look at this verse that I'm going to give you right now. Write it down. Um, 1 John 4.20. And who is my neighbor? Whoever... The verse says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whosoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God and whom they have not seen. See, he said, who is my neighbor? He's justifying him. See, you can, wow, you, how much you love God. No one can look at you and say, wow. You love God so much. See, but God knows the intention of the heart. But that verse tells us, how can you say you love God if you do not love your neighbor? See, he, he asked, who is my neighbor? For the simple fact, you can measure how much you love a person. You and I can measure by your actions and my actions how much we love others. And how much we love others dictates to us how much love we have for God. You don't see God, but you can see your neighbor. You can see your brother, your sister, your, the person up the street, your coworkers, the cashiers, the person behind you that is buying food right along for you or, or paying for gas. What are you doing with them? What are we doing with them? What am I doing with them? See, because God knows the intention of our hearts. So now he asked the question, who is my neighbor? He found himself in a jam. He didn't say um, how much he loved God because you can't measure the heart. But God knew the intentions of his heart. And he was going to give him a lesson.
Matthew's 13, 1. See, he was a wise man. He was an intellect. And once again, intellect is not a bad thing. The question is, what are you doing with it? That makes the world of a difference. That's like having money. Money is not bad. God bless you if you have it, a whole lot of it. God continue to bless you. That's a blessing. You can do a lot of things with that. The problem is the same thing. What is the intention of the heart? What are you doing with what God has given you? It would be a different conversation if it was that, wouldn't it? Matthews 13.1. This is why I speak to them in parables. This is why he spoke, he's gonna, he has to speak to him with parables because this man gets it and he doesn't get it. He knows it but doesn't know it. He sees it but can't see it. He heard it but doesn't listen. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. His wisdom, his knowledge got in the way of knowing that who was before him, the king of kings. My question to you today is what stands before you knowing the king of kings? What stands? What is the barrier that is not allowing you to see him? What barrier is standing that doesn't allow you to see him, hear him, touch him, feel him? Hallelujah. See, there's a contrast also. There's a contrast of the same question in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 31 through 32. A similar question, but the intent of the heart was different when Paul and Silas found themselves in prison, deep in prison. They found themselves in not this these, um, um, hotel rooms, um, prisons that we got today. No, there was no running water. There was no lights. It was deep. It was dark. It was cold. It was smelly. But they found themselves worshiping and praying. Their incarceration didn't keep them blind from seeing Jesus. They seen Jesus through the pain. They seen Jesus through it all. They were able to worship. Nothing could stand before. So as that with Almighty God. So as they're praying and singing and rejoicing in the Lord, even in chains and in bondage, something miraculous starts to happen. The earth starts to shake. The cells open up and their chains fall off of them. The jailer asked the question, the same question that that lawyer asked them, what do I need to do to be saved? Hallelujah. The jailer was able to see Jesus through the lives of these two men that chose to serve the sovereign, almighty, living, powerful God. Hallelujah. We worship you. They responded, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not only you. But you and your household, I stand on those promises. My children can go from the east to the west, 
to the most deepest and utmost parts of the world, to the valleys, to the, to the end of the moon. But there's a promise that me and my household are saved. Hallelujah. I learned that from a sister that was here. Her son was, I believe it was in Kuwait. And I said, oh, we got to pray. Let's pray. Let's just pray that he comes back, that no harm comes to him. She looks at me like I'm crazy. I thought I was saying something nice. She looks at me like, um, Ben, he's going to be all right. If he dies, he's in the presence of the king of kings. I said, what a lesson. When I thought I knew it all and I preached it all, something is simple. As saying, I believe. Can you give him a clap offering? And this is where Jesus gets, and, 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 and Carl read this whole page. I'm sorry I did it to you again, my friend. But it kind of explains itself. It really does. But I think it's an opportunity to take something from that. The discussion was a wounded man. The priest, a problem to avoid. The Levite, an object of curiosity. But our neighbor is anyone of any race and socioeconomical background. Love means acting to meet the needs of others. But what I wanted to get to was the person that treated that man was a Samaritan. There was a social division. There was a deep hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans because the Jews found themselves as pure descendants of Abraham. And the Samaritan were mixed race, God forbid, produced when the Jews from the northern kingdom intermarried with other people after Israel's exile. And remember who he's having a conversation with, a Jewish man. So I believe those little things meant so much in that conversation. I believe it was more like uh, the scriptures tell us that iron sharpens iron. Iron, as man, sharpens what? Man. You take two pieces of metal, right? I used to see my father do that. I thought he was crazy when I was a kid. He would take two knives and, and do this. He was taking the metal and, and, and hitting the other metal. I'm saying, what this man is doing? What he was doing was sharpening the knives. Metal sharpens metal. But it also says, as man sharpens man. Jesus wanted to sharpen him. He wanted to teach him something. Yeah, he was blind. He couldn't see, but nevertheless, there's a lesson in it all. And Jesus, at one point, found himself in a similar situation. John 4, 7, and 9 says, to some extent, to explain myself shortly. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to me, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman? How can you ask me for a drink? See, there was a 
a social conflict. There's a social, and we see that in a society wherever we go. It happens in every aspect. It's not only in one direction. Sometimes it's mutual. But in a case like this, two of the opposite um, social or cultures came to the needs of someone else. In my house, I have to say that my father had to, and I'm going to be um, 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 a little honest here, um, transparent, that's the word that I'm looking for. My, my sister is, is real light-skinned, and my brother-in-law is dark-skinned, a dark-skinned Hispanic man. And my father said, no way. There's no way that I'm going to allow you to marry. This went on for a long time. I used to hear him cry, and I used to hear my sister cry, and my sister said, Dad, whether or not you want us to marry or not, with or without your blessing, I'm marrying him. And that was a lesson for him because he says, he wouldn't trade. This was in Spanish, so he said he would say, um, "I wouldn't trade that dark man for ten white men." In other words, he learned his lesson. It's not about the color of your skin. It's not about how you look like or what you look like. It, if there is an economical boundaries they may find themselves in, that might be an opportunity for God to show himself to be God in that moment at that present time. Amen? You know, every Saturday... And this go back to what uh, the Samaritan did and went and helped someone. Got off his beast, maybe uh, a donkey, whatever it may have been. He got off of what he owned to go down and help someone that was in a desperate situation. He stopped his journey in order to help somebody else in their journey. He, it says clearly that he bandaged that man. So the question is, do, does anyone here, how many people here have bandages in their pocketbook right now? Anyone? In your car. No, on you right now. On you right now. So imagine then. So he must have ripped off his clothing in order to heal this man. He had to have torn something that belonged to him in order, in order to heal this man that was in need. He, he, he healed him. Wine and oil. He cared for him. Then, guess what he did? And what took him to a safe journey? He didn't get on that, on that bus again. He didn't get on that motorcycle again. He put that injured man on that vehicle. And allowed him, allowed him to get the benefit of that which God has given him. And with that said, 
maybe 10 years ago, I mean, the, the, the young folks know and, and our, our church know what we've been doing at Fort Fort Lehigh Worship in the Park. I, and I hate to use the word I to God be the glory when I say the word I, if, if I offend them, forgive me. Um, but it's just the reality of things. I walked by, there's, there was a common drunk. This man was always drunk. Oh, my God, he would get on my last nerve. That's the truth. He had me fed up. We set up equipment. He'd go touch. And this was all day. He would go grab the guitars. He would go on the drums. He would go on the stage. He would, he was just, it was just that. And, but we worked with patience. I inside had turmoil. That's the honest truth. But nevertheless, patience. He was able to continue to go back on the things because we were working with him with patience. He realized we're not really doing anything to him but saying, come on down. Don't do that no more. Oh, there he goes again. All day, every day. So he was known for that. Um, anyway, one day we had an event, and he's laying on the side. Well, everybody else, and I mean everybody else, was walking past him, walking past him. But something stirred up in my spirit, and I tugged on him. Jose, Jose, he mumbled some words. Don't mumbling, that mumbling word. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a clinician, but I knew something was wrong. And let me tell you, the reality was he smelled something awful. But I can easily have called the ambulance. But it was urgent. I took Jose Basically, almost couldn't walk, but he kind of stumbled his way into my car. Took him to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, the nurses, the emergency room, the nurses started to treat him the same way everybody else was treating him. He's just a drunk. His condition is he drinks too much. Look at the way he smells. So... He got a passionate Latino man next to him, and you have the audacity to speak to him like this? My Spanish came out of me. And with authority that Jesus Christ has given me. Oh, she treated him. She treated him when she, when she looked, they, urged, they um, frantically started running around. They took him from the emergency room triage to the intensive care. Jose was dying. It's easy to assume. It's easy for us to bring separation, social, economical, cultural separation. But as long as that stands in the middle, you will never see the power of Jesus. I got to meet Jose for a while and we got to talk. Jose had a tragic life. As a kid, in one of the Honduras wars or one of those countries where they had um, um, war amongst themselves, civil war, as a child, he was given a weapon to fight. Jose was self-medicating. But see, self-medication is not the heart. 
For God, man sees the outward appearance. But God searches the heart. I pray that wherever Jose's at, if he hasn't been gone with the Lord, that our conversation was sufficient enough for him to answer the question, what do I need? Or what did he need to enter into the kingdom of God? And today, Romans 10. 10. For if it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith, and you are saved. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just...